In 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 11, Paul writes, But God said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God, help us to embrace and live in the upside-down kingdom. The values of this world are flipped. The statuses of this world are flipped. Are you able to take us who are weak and broken, those who are marginalized, those who are cast aside, and use in powerful ways? Remind us in all of our weaknesses that we are deeply loved by you and that your grace is more than sufficient. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I had a chance this week to sit down uh, and have lunch with a friend uh, and a member of our community. He's um, recently had experienced a mental health uh, breakdown. And I don't know if you've had a mental health breakdown before, but I know a few of us in our community have. And he was gracious enough to share the story with me as we prepared a series on mental health. And so over pancakes and hash browns and uh, Chipotle wraps and diner coffee, uh, just, you know, told me his story. And and here's what I heard, um, and I'll, I'll, I'll let you know that many of you might know this story and, and might even know the person, but I'm going to, for now, keep it anonymous. But if you connect with it or you're struggling with something similar and you'd like to talk, he's said he's more than willing to, and happy to do it, um, and the choice to keep it anonymous was my choice. But uh, over the years, he's struggled with mental health. Uh, he grew up in a family that didn't provide the support that you really need as a kid, um, which you kind of grow up, you know, a lot of us, I think of experience, you grow up thinking maybe you're not good enough. And later, as an adult, he started seeing a counselor, and he admits that seeing a counselor was really helpful. It was a place to kind of unload and get things out, but he also admitted that it, it was just a place to unload. It wasn't a place where he was really working on the stuff. You know, he wasn't working on himself. He wasn't doing the steps to get better. And so over time, his family experiences and stress and anxiety, they build up until he found himself in a work environment that sort of thrived on his desire to please. He spent his whole life, you know, trying to be good enough or so at work. He worked his butt off trying to make up for everyone else's shortcomings, and soon he wasn't sleeping well. And over time, he started working at night with the logic, well, I'm not sleeping, I might as well work. And eventually, he was working all hours of the day and night, not sleeping. And then he starts drinking, way to help him focus on the work and distract him from all of those things in his life he wasn't working on. And you can imagine how sleepless nights, stress, alcohol, exhaustion, burnout, pressure, anxiety, depression, how that might build up over time. It was as if, you know, you pile one dry log onto another, it would only take a little spark to get those to go up into flames. And that spark came. It's always, the thing about sparks is they're not usually very big. It's the classic straw that broke the camel's back. A little argument, a disagreement, silly, stupid in retrospect, but in most situations it's that way. And if it hadn't been fallen on a dry pile of wood of all of these things that had built up, it probably wouldn't have done anything, but it did. And he couldn't handle it anymore, so he left work, told his boss he had to quit and started to drive. I asked him, where was he driving, like what direction, because... 
I drive when I'm close to a mental health breakdown, but I always pick a direction based on how I'm feeling, northwest, south, or east. That's a little inside perspective on Joe. Um, so I asked him, I was like, well, what direction? Because, you know, everyone's like me. And he said, I don't know, just away from my problems. And so most likely just in circles. Except for you can't outrun your problems. Uh, you can't, I can't, he can't. It doesn't work that way. So eventually he found himself on a quiet, out-of-the-way spot on a country road. He pulled over. In that moment, he decided that his life was no longer worth living. He's not the only one to question whether their life is worth I've had days where I didn't think my life was worth living. I've, I've gone to sleep praying that God wouldn't wake me up. I've had bad days. And life can be hard, and it takes a lot to survive at times. Well, in the end... He decided to do something about it. And so in the middle of nowhere, on the side of a road, he acted on that feeling. And thank God, he failed miserably. On his way home, he talked to both his boss and his wife, and they both offered to take him somewhere to get him checked in, which he decided to do. So he went into a facility and spent six days in treatment. And I asked him what that was like, and he said the first day is the same for everyone. You mostly sit in your room and cry, feeling horrible that you've ended up there. But after that, you meet people and you realize you're not alone. That even though your story is unique, in a lot of ways, it's not. That you're not the only one who struggle with that. A lot of everyday, quote-unquote, normal people struggle. And so in the context of that, friendships flourish during that six-day period. Support happens. Counseling takes place. He gets on medication. All of these pieces working together. And as he was telling me his story, I would say to you, it was clear that they helped. Is mental health something that we can cure overnight? No. But can we make strides and find ways to cope and live and grow and be happier, even in sometimes quick breakthroughs? Absolutely. I, is there hope after a breakdown? And the answer is absolutely. And here at City View, there is no shame. You won't be punished or looked down on for being honest about your mental health. That is a guarantee. So after he shared his story, I asked him if he had any advice for someone who might be struggling, and he said, what I thought was a nice little nugget for y'all, he said, you can be doing fine and not be fine. I was like, well, that'll preach. <laughs> so get the help you need. However, you're gonna, however you need to go get it, get the help you need. You might be doing fine, but that doesn't mean you're fine. We're kicking off a series today on mental health, and I want to tell you where we're headed. This is what we're going to do. We're going to hear some stories from people in our community. I've invited people to share their stories. Uh, quite a few have recorded little videos. We'll be sharing those in the coming weeks, and I want to thank you for that. If you have a story about mental health that you'd like to express or share, you can also uh, reach out to me. Um, you can do like with my friend, and I'd just love to have a phone call or grab some lunch and hear your story and work it into a sermon, or you can record a little video if you'd like, or there's a, we'll even be hearing from people sharing up front at times. So we're going to be hearing some stories. We're going to be offering some tools to help you care for your mental health. I am not a mental health professional. I am a pastor theologian, so I'm going to be relying on things that I have found to be helpful. I've uh, had a chance to sit down with uh, uh, Jesse, who played drums today, who's a licensed therapist. Is that the right? Yeah. Yeah. Licensed social worker. 
And uh, he's helped give me some ideas and some resources for things that we're going to be talking about, as well as some conversations with our mental health team who oversee our mental health fund. We're going to be offering, I think, some really practical tools. Uh, We're going to spend some time digging into what joy looks like in the midst of a difficult life um, in a couple of weeks. And then we'll also be hearing uh, from uh, people share about their religious trauma in the cross-section of religious trauma, church hurt, and mental health. And I'm really... um, I'm really excited for about where this is headed, and I, you know, I, but I do want to let you know that, that I'm going to do my best. I hope I won't say anything wrong, um, but I'm human, and these are my interpretations, and I'm, I, I hope that they provide resources for you, but that's just my legal disclaimer here today. So I, I, I want to share a, a clip from a video that was really informative for me in understanding what it means to care for mental health. And I, I want to preface it a little bit. I, I had a chance to watch this TED Talk, and, and like most TED Talks, if you've watched them, they, they always try to make like a singular point, like they have to come up with a brilliant idea. And so by the nature of that, they sometimes become a kind of binary, like they, they like point everything to this black and white solution, right? And uh, this TED Talk does that. I don't agree with that kind of perspective that there's, this is the answer to everything. Having said that, I, I think life is a little bit more complicated than that. But this particular TED Talk has stuck with me, and there's a story in there that I find has really helped me understand what it means to be a community to respond uh, to mental health. It comes from a, a TED Talk by Johan Harry. Um, and uh, he's a journalist, a New York Times bestselling author. He, he shares in his TED Talk his own experience with depression and anxiety, and then the research he did on it where he interviewed a bunch of people. And uh, he found that in his experience, we usually talk about depression and anxiety as a chemical imbalance in the brain, and that's all it is. That was his perspective. I don't think that's how I talk about it. I don't think that's how our community talks about it, but that's how he was raised, where if you are anxious or depressed, you just need to get on medication, and that'll fix it. And he really struggled with that. So he pushes against that. And uh, he talks about what he learned as he was researching anxiety and depression around the world. Um, and he shares it, uh, illustrates this with a little story. So I want to watch about a three-minute-long clip from his TED Talk. Can we play that? And it only really began to fall into place for me when one day I went to interview a South African psychiatrist named Dr. Derek Summerfield. He's a great guy. And Dr. Summerfield happened to be in Cambodia in 2001 when they first introduced chemical antidepressants for people in that country. And the local doctors, the Cambodians, had never heard of these drugs, so they were like, what are they? And he explained. And they said to him, oh, we don't need them. We've already got antidepressants. And he was like, what do you mean? He thought they were going to talk about some kind of herbal remedy, like, I don't know, St. John's wort, Jinko biloba, something like that. Instead, they told him a story. There was a farmer in their community who worked in the rice fields. And one day, he stood on a landmine left over from the war with the United States, and he got his leg blown off. So they gave him an artificial leg, and after a while, he went back to work in the rice fields. But apparently, it's super painful to work underwater when you've got an artificial limb. And I'm guessing it was pretty traumatic to go back and work in the field where he got blown up. The guy started to cry all day. He refused to get out of bed. He developed all the symptoms of classic depression. The Cambodian doctor said, this is when we gave him an antidepressant. And Dr. Summerfield said, what was it? They explained that they went and sat with him. They listened to him. They realized that his pain made sense. It was hard for him to see it in the throes of his depression, but actually it had perfectly understandable causes in his life. One of the doctors talking to the people in the community figured, you know, if we bought this guy a cow, 
he could become a dairy farmer, he wouldn't be in this position that was screwing him up so much, he wouldn't have to go and work in the rice fields. So they bought him a cow. Within a couple of weeks, his crying stopped. Within a month, his depression was gone. They said to Dr. Summerfield, so you see, doctor, that cow, that was an antidepressant. That's what you mean, right? <laughs> If you'd been raised to think about depression the way I was, and most of the people here were, that sounds like a bad joke, right? I went to my doctor for an antidepressant, she gave me a cow. But, <laughs> but what those Cambodian doctors knew intuitively, based on this individual unscientific anecdote, is what the leading medical body in the world, the World Health Organization, has been trying to tell us for years, based on the best scientific evidence. If you're depressed, if you're anxious, you're not weak, you're not crazy, you're not, in the main, a machine with broken parts. You're a human being with unmet needs. You're a human being with unmet needs. I, I imagine all of this is way above my pay grade, and I don't ha know how it all works. And I just often embrace the mystery, and I say it's complicated, and it's an easy answer to a complicated problem. But, but one thing that I have found, especially as you think about what it means to be a community, which we are, if you want to help somebody who's struggling with mental health, you have to be willing to buy them a cow. I, I'm, and I mean it. Back in 2019, we launched the Mental Health Fund, and we launched it. Uh, it's a fund that our church manages, and we will provide micro-grants to individuals who need help with mental health. Usually, we provide grants so that someone can see a therapist or a counselor, because there are people who want to see a therapist or a counselor, but the barrier of paying for one uh, is just too much, because even most... Like a lot of the people we've served can technically afford a therapist or a counselor, but it's reworking their finances and their budget in the midst of a mental health crisis that becomes a barrier to going, right? And so we will cover the first five sessions, and that gets you out of the crisis, and you can then, what we have found, when we've covered the first five sessions for somebody, given our population, they've figured out a way to to continue going after that, because it, it just got, it, they were, had enough time to figure it out. And so we created the mental health because we want to be like that Cambodian community, and when someone needs a cow, we're going to come together and get them a cow. And, and we've done this in more than just providing resources to see a counselor. We had, a, we had an individual um, who was recommended to our mental health fund who was depressed, suicidal, and about to be evicted. And their depression and their suicide was absolutely tied to the fact that they were going to lose their home. And so we covered, you know, the over, you know, the, the, we covered enough for them to be able to stay. And it made all the difference because what they needed, they didn't, they didn't need to see a therapist in that moment. <laughs> they needed a place to sleep. And so we've been able to do other things like purchase uh, hand drums, uh, which we'll be having events throughout the year, uh, where uh, drumming in a circle is a kind of a, a part of music therapy. We've been able to purchase in the past, and this is a plug for anyone who wants to do this, we used to have somebody who would lead yoga. Uh, and we organized all of this. We bought yoga mats, which I think are somewhere. I don't know. They might not be. They were. We purchased them with the mental health fund at one point. But this was, we, we put it all together. We had yoga on a regular basis as a way for mental health Uh, you know, uh, to help with the mental health, and, um, uh, and then COVID hit. So, you know, that didn't happen. But uh, we launched um, this back, on, uh, we launched this fund, the uh, mental health fund, on, on Christmas Eve. And as many of you know, 
every Christmas Eve, we give our money away to usually another organization. That particular year, we gave it to a, to a designated fund that we were creating. Um, and I was thinking about the sermon I gave back in 2019 on Christmas Eve around mental health. And, you know, it's interesting. If you're going to talk about mental health on Christmas Eve, which, by the way, if you've not figured out every Christmas Eve, we end up talking about something that's serious. Um, but it works with the Christmas story. So how do you talk about mental health and Christmas at the same time? Well, there's probably lots of ways to do it, but this is the only way that I can, I can think of. Have you seen this classic? Well, it's a story of uh, George Bailey. You know, George was this young man. He had big dreams and hopes for his life, but through a series of unfortunate events, he gets stuck living in his hometown while he watches his friends and his brother go off to college and move on with their lives. They get to live, live the life that he never got, and he's forced to stay in his hometown to keep the savings and loans open. How many of you have seen this film? If you haven't, go watch it. It makes me cry every time. Um, it's a small bank. The savings loan is a small bank, and it's to help people who can't afford to buy a house get a loan. This story is actually about affordable housing, which is uh, one of the other reasons why this story is a great story. Uh, he stays home. He surrenders his dreams. He sacrifices his dreams to do something that he believed was good and necessary to continue his dad's legacy. But after a life of sacrifice and hardly anything going right, he, he becomes tired, he becomes hopeless, and then that spark, you know, that, that, that little thing on the camel's back, and it just all builds up, and then that, that one thing happens. For him, his absent-minded uncle loses an $8,000 deposit, which is a lot of money now, but I can't imagine how much it is when this movie was made. And this means not only that his hard work would be for nothing, but that he would likely end up in jail because you, don't, you can't lose $8,000 deposits when you run a bank. So he decides his life isn't worth living anymore. And like I said, he's not the only one. He says, why, why keep trying to do good when it only gets you into trouble? Why give up all that you want only to get nothing in return? And, and I, here's what I promise you. If, if, if you've ever tried to change the world, if you've ever tried to do something different, if you ever tried to do something good in the world and, and challenge the status quo, then you know exactly how George Bailey feels. It's way easier just to go with the flow, but when you try to change things and you want to make the world a better place and you run after challenge after challenge and everything seems to be against you. So George goes to a bridge overlooking a river and he climbs on the rail. He's going to end it all. And a moment before he does, you guys know how this happens. If you've seen it, an angel shows up by the name of Clarence. Uh, Clarence is his name, and he's an angel just like you would expect an angel to be like who's named Clarence. Um, so Clarence, being one of my favorite angels, he runs up, he climbs on the rail, and he jumps off the bridge. Now... Of course, George, being George, who always puts others before himself, jumps in to save him. And by doing so, he saves himself. So Clarence then does for George what I feel like many of us would wish we could do for ourselves. He shows George what the world would look like if he wasn't there. He gets to see the impact that he had, and every time it just makes me cry. I had a, had a micro version of this experience. This is in my notes. This is a free one. <laughs> so stupid. 
I, I spent a week with my family, and uh, I just uh, kind of volunteered to cook. And, and honestly, they were, everyone was so grateful, but I, was, I, I prefer to cook than interact with people. Fun fact about me. And uh, so it was just gave me something to do with my hands, you know, and I, like, would, I, you know, like I would spend a couple hours cooking, and that filled up, like, these days where I wasn't doing anything. It was great. And uh, near the end of um, Christmas break, I ended up getting um, a little cold, and I just wasn't feeling well. So I, I decided I was going to cook that night. And uh, I was sitting over playing on the Nintendo or something, and my family was sitting at the, din- at the puzzle table all doing a puzzle, and they were talking about, you know, what they were going to do for dinner since Joe's not cooking. And friends, they ordered pizza. And I have never felt more valued in my entire life. Like, I'm out, and they order pizza. I'm like, man. I mean, small version of what George basically said. He's like, what would the world be like without George? And in the movie, um, one of the things that really kind of caused a spiral is that they needed this $8,000. And so um, at the end of the movie, uh, and I'm sorry if this is a spoiler, but it's an old movie. You, sh- you know, sorry. But it's been out for a while. Um, uh, the story ends with the community coming together. In their own way, they buy George a cow. And uh, I just want to watch this clip real quick. Oh, I George, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. Come in, Uncle Billy. Everybody in here. Mary did it, George. Mary did it. She told some people you were in trouble with it. They scattered all over town collecting money. Didn't ask any questions. Just said, George, in trouble. And tell me, you spread like hair. Another run on the bank? Here, George. Merry Christmas. There we are. The line farms on the right. Here you are, George. You got the faculty all left out a bit. Here's some beautiful. I wouldn't have a roof over my head if it wasn't for you, George. Just a minute, just a minute. Quiet, everybody. Quiet, quiet. Now, get this. It's from London. Oh. Mr. Gower cabled you need cash. Stop. My office instructed to advance you up to $25,000. Stop. Hee-haw and Merry Christmas, Sam Wainwright. this because a friend was in need and their community came around and all of them giving what they could to make a difference and I watch this and I just cry and uh, I don't cry in real life but I cry in good movies often and because uh, um, there's just nothing more beautiful than a community of people surrounding someone who needs love and support whether it means getting them a cow or funds or access to resources or encouragement or the chance to see a therapist or medication Whatever's needed, and mental health is so complicated, you need all of these different pieces. And so when a community comes together and helps people's needs, I mean, that's what it's about. So over the last few years, we've distributed probably thousands of of funds from the Mental Health Fund, mostly, as I said, to help people get a therapist, but a variety of other things as well. And the reason we do this is because we know life is hard. There's no shame in that. Life is hard. 
The struggle is real. I shared a story of my friend who ended up in treatment six days after deciding his life wasn't worth it. And um, I had the chance to uh, visit him while he was in treatment. And he, uh, he gave me this, uh, uh, this drawing that he had been working on uh, while in treatment. And he, he went from working too much to being in a building where he had only time on his hands, too much time on his hands. And so he started writing, and then it turned into scribbles. And then you can put the picture up. And then it just turned into, uh, is there, yeah, right there. It turned into this, just one squiggle after the other. And there's something about that as a, as in a, a connoisseur of fine art. I just loved it. You can almost feel the anxiety working its way out with every line. And, and this, of course, is now the background for our series gra graphic courtesy of him. I like this because it's messy, and it's raw, and it's real, and it's a little dark, but it's tied to a story that's filled with hope. It's tied to a story of somebody who's alive. It's tied to a story of somebody who's learning what it means to stay alive. And that's what this series is all about. It's gonna be messy and real maybe a little dark at times, but it's all tied to hope. That whoever you are, whatever you experienced, what you've been through, what you've lost, whether you've had days that feel like this or whether you've had years that feel like this, you're here. You made it. And I'm glad you're here and I'm guessing the person in front of you is glad you're here. And the person behind you is glad you're here. And the person next to you is glad you're here. And I need you to know this. That you are loved. Not because of what you've done or what you've left undone. Irrelevant of your mistakes or shortcomings, your struggles or your fears, you are loved for who you are, 100%, and you matter. So over the next couple of weeks, we'll talk about that. What does it mean to matter? What does it mean to live? We'll give you some tools. We have a mental health toolkit that we plan to release next week, so you do not want to miss it. You, you'll, and if you're online, we'll, we'll send you a digital version of it, but it's a little collection of cards, little tools that you can use when you're having a bad day or worse. Uh, so all kinds of fun stuff. It's going to help us really wrestle with what it means to remind ourselves that God loves us. And so as a community, we want to be a community that gathers together. And, and, and this is the idea behind communion. So the first Sunday of every month we share in communion. Communion, of course, uh, is rooted in the word community what it means to be a community where we share uh, food and drink with one another. And so Jesus, of course, had a community that he shared food and drink, and he said, this represents what it means to give my life to you, that we could be a community built on what this radical generosity of Jesus. And so here at City View Church, anyone who wants to share in the bread and the juice is welcome to. Um, you're absolutely welcome to. It doesn't matter who you are, 
what you've done, you can come. We, we use gluten-free matzah this morning and grape juice, so you know what you're, what you're getting. Um, it's also nut-free, if that matters. Um, and we're going to invite you uh, here just in a little bit. We're going to invite you to come up, and you'll come up this side of the aisle, and you'll receive the elements. And then you'll, you can drop your reusable communion cup in these baskets, and then you can go back this side. That'll help us be all on the same page. So with that, I invite you to pray with me. God, we give you thanks. God, remind us in this moment that we are loved, that we are invited to your table to sit in your house, to pull up a chair and to share in your meal, that we are a part of your family, that you have prepared a meal for us that we are a valuable member of your family, of this community, of the world. Remind that, remind us of that today. And God, help us to be people that love one another, that give of ourselves, that we can all feel supported. And God, we ask that your Holy Spirit would fall on these gifts of bread and juice, that you'd make them be for us, the body and blood Christ, that we might be the body of Christ in this world, your hands and feet. So Lord, feed us today that we might go out and feed the world with good news, with hope, with grace. We ask all of this in Jesus' name, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.